Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm tired. How are you? I'm tired as well. We're going to make this quick because it's going to rain, and that's when we go out for walks because that's the world that we live in right now. What a stupid world. <laughs> uh, real quick, Jeff, who do we have on the podcast today? What is that? That is Dan trying to FaceTime us. Oh. But before we get to Dan's FaceTime, yeah. and before we go outside for the walk, Jeff, who is on the podcast today? On the podcast today is the director of the Michael Jordan documentary on ESPN, The Last Dance, Jason Hare. We are thrilled to have this conversation. Jason so Jason is somebody who we've enjoyed his work, whether it's the Andre the Giant documentary, the, the Fab Five documentary, uh, various 30 for 30s on ESPN. But this one right here, this Michael Jordan documentary that everyone in the world has sat down and watched is, is just fantastic. I mean, it couldn't be more compelling, more entertaining, more fun. We talk about it in like every single interview. I mean, like that's that's yeah. how big it is. It's it's And so to have the guy behind it? Yeah. It's it's a coup for us. It's a coup for us. But uh but shout out to Jason and his entire team for putting together something that is everlasting and uh just a fantastic piece of art. So yeah, shout thank, out to Jason. Thank God it lives up to the times. Oh you know? my God. Yeah. Hell yeah. So yeah. Uh, we have Jason on. We have Jadakus on. Then we get Jadakus, who is also a Jason. Jason Phillips. Shout out to Jada. Uh, we called just to check in, talk some basketball stuff, and uh, see how his hair is growing. All that stuff. Which, by the way, surprise. <laughs> shout out to Jadakus. Yeah. And then, Jeff, we get on the phone. With Pablo Torre. Pablo Torre from uh, ESPN, a Manhattan uh, native. Legend. We, we talked to him about Regis High School and the debate team. Uh, we talk about, uh, you know... What... Way to make him sound cool, by the way. Listen, guys. No, he makes himself sound... <laughs> Very cool. He brings up the debate team. This wasn't like but a no, lot of we, research on our part. But we talked to him about the um, the Lincoln Park uh, <laughs> viral video that he made. Yeah, we talked. I mean, like it's it's a really fun, funny conversation. I'm. I we've been trying to make this one happen for a long time. Yeah. Listen, I mean, he's a he's a new father. Um, he had a daughter in February, so this has been like a very like head spinning sort of throw everything in the air type yeah. of time for for everybody but especially for pablo um who is still doing work from his home just like we all are but he's on tv so uh man shout out to pablo shout out to jada and shout out to jason yeah and by the way if this intro is not good eric and i have been talking for six hours straight <laughs> like we've been doing phone calls for six hours i'm really tired um and i'm looking forward to the weekend and the walk and the walk in the rain. take right now. <laughs> Jeff, uh, before we get into anything. I do want to also mention yes. that you were about to cue me up for. Yeah. We have a Patreon. So people can get involved. People who really believe in what It's The Real is, what It's The Real is about, and it, what It's The Real will be. Yeah. You can go to patreon.com and you can make a uh, recurring donation. It's, you know, $2, $3, $5, $10. People have gone up to big numbers just because they believe in this, they support us, and they want to see us keep going. If you love Quarantine Radio, if you love this content, patreon.com slash It's The Real. Yes. Independent media at its finest. It's The Real patreon.com slash it's the real there it is now jeff it's only right that the one thing that we've been talking about for all of quarantine we get into the great details with the director jason Hare. what up jason what's happening what's happening how are you good man we're uh i'm busy <laughs> i'm good i feel like just as much as you're a storyteller on screen you have been telling the story about the storytelling just hour after hour day after day it's been a lot of that yes um some more monotonous than others but i've i've been looking forward to this one since uh 
since before I even thought you guys would ever even want me on the show. Well, so. I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you so much, and uh, and congratulations on everything so far. Um, I want to get right into it. What is your relationship like with your editors? Um, like, how do you find them? What's your shorthand like? How much do you want your editors to, to push you versus following your instruction? Great question. And I have not heard that question yet, so I'm pumped about that question. <laughs> um, these editors, I've, I've worked um, for a long time, my whole career, with, with the same crew of really, really good editors who are in the sports documentary space. Um, and for this project, I just knew that it was going to be so grueling and at times so monotonous and, and, uh, just, I needed to, to, to make a fresh start as much as I could in as many levels as I could. Hmm. And especially telling a story like this, that we're trying to, to have transcend just a sports audience and have people look at it as a nostalgic documentary, a pop cultural examination, um, a musical examination. I wanted to find people who actually weren't sports experts who knew who Michael Jordan was, but don't necessarily know what, uh, what his own defense is versus a man to man and don't know what the triangle is. So, um, what I did was just start calling the most talented people that I knew, um, and people who I admire, who happen to be friends of mine and talking to them about who they knew who may be interested. Uh, and that included a lot of people at ESPN, Connor Shell, um, who is one of the top guys at ESPN, mm -hmm. is a friend of mine for over 10 years because I've done a lot of work with those guys. I talked to him. I talked to Ezra Edelman, who, of course, did OJ and yep. so many other docs that I admire and has been a friend of mine for almost 20 years. I talked to him. Um, and once I found a couple of people who were going to be part of the, the crew, Nina Kerstich is a woman who is our archival producer. So anything you see that's not footage that the NBA shot that season and is not an interview, she got it. Mm. So if there's little nuggets that you're like, how did they find that? Nina found that because she's literally the best person in the world at that. And Connor Shell at the outset of this said, I'm never going to tell you what to do and how to do it and who to hire. You got to hire Nina because you'll thank me someday. And I thank him every day for it. So Nina is one of those people who just knows everybody. She, she's very tied into the indie film world and the, the doc world. So she introduced me to a guy named Chad Beck. Chad Beck is our lead editor. And there's a guy named Brett Granato who was the lead editor on the OJ doc and Ezra's main editor for a while. He is supernaturally talented. And Chad, I think, is the guy who, who I don't want to say he's his first teacher, but I know that Chad taught Brett in, in an actual, in a course setting, in a whoa, class. Whoa. And I think that, that um, Chad tried to, uh, Ezra tried to get Chad for a project and, and it didn't work out. So he got Brett and obviously that tip worked out fantastically. Um, but I remember I had dinner with Ezra two or three years ago and said, I think we might get this guy Chad Beck. He said, who's that an answer? He's got Chad Beck. And some other people, he said, Wait, you got Chad Beck for this? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, is that good? Like, because <laughs> I met him. I met him and he was wearing Jordans, which, and he wasn't wearing them on purpose. I'm wearing the shoes. If anything, like that would, that would be a point against you if you were trying to like, sure, you know, like sell yourself that way. But he just happened, like that was kind of his vibe. He's like, just like a dude from Brooklyn with a flat rim cap. And he wears like, ones like beat up ones all the time and he drives a bike around Brooklyn and he's, he's one of those people that you walk past on the street you don't realize that you're walk, walking past one of the most talented creative people on the planet literally Man. that's Chad and he's and he's also one of the nicest people I've ever known um that's what we we had a strict can I swear on this this podcast? Yeah. yeah of course yeah we had a no assholes rule 
Um, That's the best that rule, by the way. Yeah. That's paramount. I don't think anyone has a more assholes rule, but we had a strict, like, <laughs> you gotta, maybe, maybe I'm an asshole and they are too. They just lied with me, but it was like a, like a, I don't want to spend two and a half years with someone in a dark room unless it's someone that I want to, like, go grab a beer with afterwards. Too. Yeah. And we have become a family. So Chad knew somebody who knew somebody who got this guy named Devin Concanon, who was one of the guys who edited, among other things, the Firefest doc, uh, the Hulu, the yeah, the Hulu version of the Firefest doc, right. the Hulu uh, iteration of it. Um, and it was like he's young and hungry. He used to work for the Weinstein Company, and Harvey would come in and tell him, "There's a two-hour doc, and I need you to get it down to an hour and a half today." Do it. <laughs> and he slammed the door, and Devin just did it. Like that's the guy, and you need a guy like that. It was really like like being a coach and saying, "All right, we need a center, and we need we need a stretch four, and we need a point guard, we need a two guard who can shoot, we need someone to come off the bench." It was really building a team like that. So. I got my Phil Jackson on and I gave everybody books for the first Christmas. Whoa. Everybody got a, a handpicked book, uh, according to them. That's it's awesome. An honor, honor of Phil and an honor of, uh, yeah, we do that every year. Um, just to make everybody feel appreciated and included and valued because every single person top to bottom, it's a small team. So I can tell you a lot about the personal lives and, <laughs> and the, uh, of, of this whole scene but the editor it's a great question because they are the ones i just signed off on episode 10 um just now wow well, congratulations have, wait thanks. now have, <laughs> just now yeah just now and episode 9 is not done so that'll be done after 10 um but i was watching game six and the editing in game six is extraordinary and it's a guy named abai sofsky and I couldn't even say his name. <laughs> like I saw him <laughs> on, on paper and he came in and I was expecting something totally different. And in comes this kind of like nerdy looking dude in like a big Knicks hat with glasses and kind of a baggy button down. I was like, wait a second. Like I was expecting, you know, some like the, the Sultan of Brunei to walk in or something. Like, what is this? And he's, he's you know, he's, he's from uh, West Virginia and he's got an incredible backstory. Um, and he just told me that he's a Knicks fan and, and he had seen some stuff that I had done and I looked at his work and I said, all right, I, this is, you know, not everybody has to be the loudest guy in the room, but you need those guys who are like, every time they speak, their slugging percentage for like laughter and engagement is about 2000. And that's, that's Abba. Yeah. Well, he also was the guy who would come in at like 11 AM and leave at 11 PM. And you, I could leave him alone. He was so autonomous. He doesn't want me over his shoulder <laughs> and I can't be over four out of his shoulders. Yeah. Uh, especially while we're shooting, we, we didn't finish shooting until March 10th of this year. Man. So we needed guys who could, who could, uh, guys and girls who could, guys and women. Yeah, self motivated uh, and yeah, and that's Abai. So Abai, in his apartment a few weeks ago, I was like, all right, here's the music I want to use. Here's the storyline I want to. Here's the story I want to tell for Game Six. Obviously, it culminates with Michael hitting the shot. But he knew basketball enough that I would give him like the specific basketball things. He did the Knicks series. In episode six, he did a lot of the basketball stuff uh, with the Pistons in three and four. He is a storyteller at heart and an artist, but he also is a huge, uh, unfortunately for him, a Knicks fan. And but he knows <laughs> basketball really well. So from West that's Virginia, a very long by answer, the way. But, yeah, yeah. But yes, he, but he's he's just his his story is incredible. And we had Ben Sasansky, who was an editor on the OJ doc himself. He did he did the the fifth part of OJ himself, and he came in and was like our utility guy, like. 
he would edit one scene here for for one episode, episode 10, and then I need him to go back and re-edit a scene from episode 7. We just had an embarrassment of riches on this. So I, I told Ben that it was like a late-season pickup, like right before the trade deadline. Huge shocking news when you <laughs> sign a player that's going to like bring you into the playoffs. That's yeah. what it was like to get Ben. So I, I was so lucky, man, that we got, we got the people that we had, editors and non-editors on this team. Well, I mean, like, you know, you, you guys have gotten such good praise for the music choices that you guys have made, um, you know, with Rakim and, and everything from like Naughty uh, by Nature, yeah, all yeah. the all the 90s hits and, and uh, B-sides. But I was wondering, did you and your editors ever joke around and score Michael's footage to songs that he'd actually listen to, like Anita <laughs> Baker? <laughs> Uh, well, all you got to do is go back to NBA superstars. You can see stuff like that because they actually did it for us already. Um, you see a lot of incongruous music cut to these guys. So Michael, Michael's song on, I don't know, you guys are probably too young for NBA superstars, but that was the VHS tape. Like That was the first basement tape. Mm. But that, that came with like a subscription to Sports Illustrated. And each of the superstars in the NBA had their own song. And Michael's song was Take My Breath Away from <laughs> Top Gun. And so it's all slow motion, very long dissolves, like borderline erotic way to Michael Jordan. Um, uh, the only, the only hip hop song on that was Hakeem Olajuwon, How You Like Me Now. And, wow. You know, when, when I think Kumo D, yeah, yeah. I think African superstar. That's right. <laughs> it's, it's, they're, they're, they're one and the same. Uh, Larry Bird was uh, small town, John Mellencamp, so that kind of fit. sure, yeah. But there really Indiana. wasn't. I think I think that's one of the reasons why the music is resonating the way that it, it is, which is by far the greatest thrill for me of this entire process is that people are appreciating the music in this. Is that they haven't seen? There's not a lot out there that was made at the time that these records were made uh, of of the highlights that were of the time they were making the records. So I'm bad set to LL Cool J. I think today seems obvious to us that like that's kind of a, a, an anthem of like I'm here and I'm better than everybody else. Yep. That's exactly what Michael was saying in the garden that day on April 20th, 1986. So it made sense to put those two together. But back then they weren't even on radio. They weren't, I'm bad was never shown on MTV at the time. It was BET. I'm serious. It was BET. It was my brothers and I, this is to give you an idea at that time. I'm from Boston and Emerson radio for two hours, every Friday night, they would, there was a hip hop show for two hours and it was, um, either 88, nine or 95, three. And there was only one room in our house <laughs> where we could get the reception and one radio for whatever reason the the, the Panasonic worked and the Toshiba did not. And, <laughs> and, and we would record that would hit record at 8 PM and it, they'd play, you know, 15 or 20 rap songs in two hours. And then that was like, what you listen to for two weeks would bring it into school yeah. and it was like contraband like we were like dorky little white kids dancing on cardboard with like clip-on ties and dock sliders <laughs> and little, like, parochial school but i was fascinated by the i loved the music for, ever since i could walk i've loved music probably more than sports but that was just like seeing a new color to hear hip-hop for the first time was like what is this Man, you know, and i don't think i'll ever have that have that experience again i vividly remember the first time i heard rockbox uh, run DMC yeah, in the yeah. basement of my house. My brother was lifting weights and listening to it. I remember sitting on the staircase watching him because his friends were down there and I was like not allowed to be there. I was probably like six and just being like, what is that? So part of it's got to be a little like funny, the reaction that people are having because you're just like, yo, I don't know. This is just like natural to me right here. This feels right. Um, 
yes, I, I, I certainly didn't think people would be like, yeah, of course. I was hoping, you know what I thought it would be is like my dream was like maybe like guys like you are, are, are kind of like people who really appreciate the music and the culture. Mm-hmm. Someone would, would tweet here or there like, <laughs> hey, they used I had no joke. I certainly did not think it was going to get the attention it's getting. Like yeah. that is, that's the, the trippiest part to me. And I mean, my brothers and I can now, it brings us back to that time because we used to like, we, much to my parents' chagrin, we used to take their vinyl and we had an old record player and we didn't know how to scratch. <laughs> so we would we would take the needle and move it horizontally across the, <laughs> across the record. Perfect. Just, yeah, so, just wrecking everything. Yeah. <laughs> so those scratches all over, you know, these Neil Diamond and Perry Como. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, LG. just looking for like the real nice, like, you know, samples from those two records. That's right. <laughs> it's awful. Yeah, all we wanted to do was just make that noise and we would play, you know, we play Curtis Blow in the background, or whatever, and try to scratch along with it. And, and meanwhile, we're just ruining the, the equipment <laughs> in our house. But it was just a fascination with something that was. I mean, I grew up like a white middle class kid, Irish Catholic from suburban Boston. It, yeah. was, it was it was like Mars to me, um, and that music just really resonated. So I, these are the, these are the songs that we use in this thing that I would like be dunking on my Nerf hoop to, like <laughs> pretending I was Michael Jordan, listening to on bad or That's listening to wild. Uh, yeah. So it, it's it's like a pleasure. I edited the on bad thing because I was at that game, and that song was like, I played I played bigger and deafer so much that album that I had to buy another tape because the tape wore out. <laughs> um, Jason, with with someone like you know uh, Shelby Foote writing about the Civil War, or or uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin writing about Lincoln, or or, or Robert Cairo writing about uh, like Lyndon Johnson, each of them essentially lives with the people or the times, uh, but at the same time, they literally do not, right? Your experience is different in that the subject of your work is sitting right in front of you. So can you talk about the thrill and or the trepidation of, you know, bringing something uh, to Michael himself that opens up his eyes? Um, Definitely more of a thrill and trepidation. The only time there was any trepidation was talking about his dad's death. And that's just kind of a, that's just your humanity coming through to someone else's humanity. But there's certainly, I mean, the last thought that I did before this to give an example was Andre the giant. Yep. And I would have given anything to interview Andre the giant and ask him all the questions I wanted to ask. There's always someone Chris Weber is alive and well and didn't do the fab five. Yeah. 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 I would have loved to have asked Chris, you know, dozens of questions about that. This was like, if you're going to pick a project to have the perfect storm of cooperation and budget and resources and time to tell the story, 10 hours to tell the story of this, um, this is like a, a dream come true. I, I wake up every day and I'm grateful still. So to, to sit there with him and to be able to ask him not only the questions that I want to ask him as a 43-year-old guy making a documentary who's trying to tell a coherent story – but also be able to ask the questions I wanted to ask when I was nine years old. Mm, yeah. Like, like what, what was the hardest game you ever put? Like, 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 like shit, like what was your favorite color? Like, like that shit that you would ask if yeah. you were a little kid. Yeah. It wasn't that, that elementary, but certainly things like who was the toughest guy for you to face or who, you know, and, and then also, you know, obviously that there's, there's more intricate questions and, and you're trying to weave a storyline in, but it was, I just kept on feeling like that the only word I can think of is lucky. The entire process, I was like, I cannot believe how lucky I am. Put it this way. Um, so I mentioned before that I was at that game, a 63-point game in the garden. Yes. If you came into my section that day, and say there's 30 people sitting in Loge 13 where I was <laughs> in the garden, 
and someone said, okay, everybody stop this kid right here. You're going to get to do a 10 hour documentary about Michael Jordan someday. I would have thought I had won the fucking lottery. <laughs> if you then said "Time out, everybody in the garden, there's 16,500 people here. We're going to choose one person. Jason Harrods, you, you can do it. I would have thought like, what's going on? If you said the city of Boston and they chose me, this is the entire world. And everything that led up to this, like things went the right way that I was allowed to tell this story. I just felt so fortunate and lucky to be able to do this. So it was like, all right, now is your responsibility. Let's tell this the best possible way we can. Let's get the best. I mean, we always say let's get the best team, but there was like, I always, my, my weak spot is hiring. And it's like, all right, this person said hire them. Great. That's <laughs> fine. And a lot of the times it's like small enough projects where, we've been lucky with great people, but even if you don't have great people, you can, you can make up for it. This was like, no, every single person is going to be vetted. We're going to interview them over and over. I want to have every single thing in place. And I'm not like, it sounds cheesy to say like, you know, Michael has that uh, mentality and, and, it, and it, it goes from the top down, but he's, his people, man, there is absolutely no quarter given. And if it's, if it's 99 out of a hundred, that's not good enough. Mm. Um, it can always be better. It can always be, you know, what if we take this shot instead of this shot? And I'm a perfectionist like that too. Yeah. So they, they speak my language. Um, and then you have people from ESPN who I really respect. You have the NBA coming in. You have people from the guy at Netflix who was my boss used to be my PA in 2006. And now he's my boss at Netflix. So wait, always, you, yeah. always be nice. Were you nice PA? <laughs> That's the real question. No, uh, I mean, I was, I was barely, I was barely above a PA myself. <laughs> he and I both came up. My point is that like, we had the same mentality. Yeah. That is like, you do it until it's at its absolute best or why bother doing it at all? Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, like if you weren't nervous to talk to Mike, I, I personally, oh, would be... I, was. I definitely was. I didn't say I was, I, I definitely was. I'm not trying to be Mr. Cool. With that. <laughs> that was, like, well, surreal. Well then let me, let me, let me switch my question. What was the first thing you said to Mike to set the tone? Well, I met him twice, two or three times before we actually sat down in the chair. So um, we had met and just uh, hung out kind of casually via uh, SD Portnoy, his manager. Um, so he knew my face when he walked in that day. But I said, um, we need two changes. We need a change of clothes because we're going to do the shot with him with a cigar by the window. Mm -hmm. I knew we were, we were going to start the series with that. Um, and then I need him to change out of that. So at least it looks like it's not so obvious that he just walked <laughs> over to a chair and sat down. So, and, and now I just gave away the magic of television. <laughs> um, so we were shooting those things and, and there's some shots specifically you'll see them because we're not done with those shots in the series. And, and there's a couple of shots where he's got a smirk on his face mm -hmm. and what he's doing is he's saying to me, I'm only doing this once. <laughs> it, and, it, it, and the thing was, his deal is okay if you tell me to like turn my head this way and stand up and exhale you better get it right because i'm doing it once <laughs> it was like all right everybody is on point we had two camera guys who were like following him around um and the equipment they had is like it's not a steady cam because it's not that heavy but it's still pretty heavy mm -hmm. they were pouring sweat after we finished <laughs> that that tiny shoot 10 minutes like as soon as he walked in it was like all right that, that bench is ready to go mike all you need to do is go over there sit down and smoke that cigar that's it just sit there and look out the window and relax for a little bit they were by the end pouring sweat because they're holding like their 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 shoulders are tense their elbows are tense there's sweat on the ground like we just played pickup in that room <laughs> So then he goes in and he changes his shirt and he sits down and it's like, okay, here we go. How do you start that interview? Like, I'm not going to be like, so 
Michael Jordan. <laughs> well, well, well. <laughs> Where are you from? Like, yeah, it's yeah. Like that. So it was. We had interviewed his, um, the guy who was his his former driver and now his best friend, and that was Michael chose that graphic description of of uh, the description on George Corley's graphic best friend. Like that is literally his best friend. That's awesome. Um, he sat down with us in that house that day. We rented that house for the first shoot. It's nearby Michael's house. He didn't want to do it at his house. Mm -hmm. We respect that. So George came first. And then I figured like what better way to get him relaxed and talking about early bulls days than talk about how he met George. Cause when he came off the, the plane, his first time in Chicago, his limo wasn't there. And George was a limo driver and said, Hey, I'll give you a ride. And now they've been best friends ever since. Oh my God. So Yeah. We, these are the kind of things, like, if you want episode 11, 12, and 13, like, we didn't get to tell so many cool stories like that. So we interviewed George, and I know that we need to cover material that I can give my editors for the first three or four episodes. And part of that is going to be his early days, the cocaine circus days, quote-unquote, yep. with the Bulls. And that's how we started talking, was me, like, tell me, I said, we interviewed George earlier today. That's the first sentence out of my mouth <laughs> and the first interview with him. And he was like, ah, George, he's been, he's been scamming me ever since. <laughs> he picked me up and scammed me and got me to the hotel and, and uh, I paid him and I, he's been scamming. Like, Michael's a ball buster. So, and George is sitting there off camera, you know, 20 or 30 feet laughing away too. It was just a way to relax him and be like, I'm not going to just dive right into like, why'd you go to Atlantic City? Like, it's not going to be like that. But we have plenty of time to get to that kind of yeah, stuff. So, yeah. it's, um, I mean, you guys know what the deal is when, you, when you're interviewing someone who's like a name it's like wow what's the first how where do i begin yeah you know? and, yeah and i think that i think they start small and then just go from there yeah i mean like well what about talking to isaiah who you know could be the villain of the series well it could be a villain of the series right you know i think that he 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 agreed to sit down and so like how do you approach that he agreed and then um he showed up and by the way, the, the place where we interviewed him, it's on the Turner lot in Atlanta. And it's like where Ted Turner used to hang out. It, it's, it's like a house that's on the Turner lot. And it's, it's called like the Turner room or something like that. That's and awesome. That was like his hangout spot. Like, like if those walls could talk. Man. <laughs> and that's like from, from, from 40 years ago. But this room is like one of the best rooms we, we got to do the interviews in. So Isaiah was taping uh, some NBA stuff that night. You know, it was, it was a year or so ago. And to his credit, he came in. I had met him before because I was a PA at NBC in the in the uh, control room doing graphics when he was part of the talent for NBA on NBC. Really? He certainly. He has no idea who I am. But um, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Do you, Jason, do you have like nightmares of John Tesh's music? <laughs> <laughs> nightmares i have fantasy I have, I have all the remixes i have the extended club cuts. i have the dubs um seven um, inch whenever that comes on and whatever the prudential at the half music oh my on, god or the prudential um the prudential pregame music they still use that and i still like dude, i used to be so nervous in those days because graphics was not my thing like i was like you know misspelling things you you're off my <laughs> point and you're wrong and I would be so nervous that I couldn't even get like my pen in the cap when it was time to go on the air. And I would just, I would have my, my little shaking 22 year old hands beneath <laughs> little shelf. Like, Oh my God, here we go. So <laughs> we've come a long way. Um, so as was there in those days, but he, he has no recollection of who I am, obviously. So yeah. I met him in his mind for the first time. And he, to his credit, pulled me aside and said, who is making the decisions in this doc? And I said, me. He said, who's the one deciding how the story gets told? I said, me. 
and he said, okay, what research have you done? And we stood there for a solid five, 10 minutes. And I told him how long I've been working on this. I said, I've been working on it for the better part of three years before we interviewed him. And I said, but in a lot of ways, I've been working on it for 35 years mm. because since I was eight years old, I've been following all of this. I was like, you, you, I'm a Celtics fan. You guys fucking broke our hearts <laughs> many years. In the, I didn't say anything about birds stealing the ball from him, but I did say that like, you know, I grew up pretending I was playing against him in the backyard. I was like, I have an immense, immense respect for you guys, for you, and an immense respect for that time period. And I promise you that you are in good hands. Wow. No matter what you think about this, you're not, no one is going to say that we, we misrepresented you. And I can promise you that. That's dope. Um, after 10 episodes, uh, endless days of footage, you know, uh, a number of, of, of in-person interactions. Do you personally find Michael Jordan now more relatable, more otherworldly, or perhaps a little bit of both? More relatable. Uh, he's always going to be otherworldly. He's got a bizarre charisma that, like, we, we, we are convinced that he's an alien. He's not <laughs> from this planet. Um, not because of his basketball prowess, just because of, like, certain things. It would be like he just knew certain things, like, ah, oh, we shouldn't do it on that day. And then there would be a hurricane. It'd be like, well, all right, good thing we didn't <laughs> plan that day because there was a hurricane. He, at the end of the last interview, said to all of us, as he, as he was leaving, he's like, all right, I'll never see you again, so take care. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's a fucked up thing. It's going to be a premiere. Like, I'm going to be probably sitting next to him doing a panel discussion. No, Michael knew that COVID was the coming. Pandemic. The pandemic. premiere is going to be canceled. Like, he, he is... He is not. He's not quarantined in in Florida right now. He's on like Voltron six thousand. <laughs> it's really shocking um, when you when you meet them. Larry, Ronnie, and his mother, and I met his his sister as well. We didn't interview her, but how down to earth they are. Like Michael busts his brother's balls, like we bust our own siblings' balls, and they're a foot shorter than him. That's another reason why I think he's an alien is because. <laughs> Everyone in that family, their face looks exactly like Dolores and James's face somehow. Mm -hmm. And you look at the family picture and it's like straight line, straight line, straight line, two feet up, then straight line, straight line, straight line. <laughs> Michael's just like a different species. Um, but Larry and Ronnie are like so, I'm sure they're proud of their brother, but so unimpressed by him. <laughs> so just like, whatever, that's Michael, like rolling their eyes and telling stories. Like they're just proud of where they came from. They're very proud of the way that they were raised. It's so impressive. And you see so many superstars on and off the court, in and out of the recording studio, go fucking nuts, lose their mind. Because our, the human brain was not meant to get this much attention. It wasn't. We haven't evolved to a point where we should be able to absorb, like humans should be able to absorb the amount of attention that a Kanye West absorbs. Right. Michael Michael's feet are firmly on the ground because of the family that he came from. And and meeting them, it was so evident. It's it's one of the coolest experiences of this whole process was to see I always wondered, like, why has he not lost his mind? Mm-hmm. He oftentimes in my life was the most famous person on the planet and he's still probably top ten, top five, most most recognizable faces. But he also is a guy who comes in and is busting the balls of our sound guy for having big calves. You know, like I wish I could release some of that stuff. Like the, just the ball busting that goes on between takes and and the the, the joy with which he busts balls and likes taking it. Man. Like if you give it back to him, like look at John Michael Wozniak, the guy with the perm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guard. That um, is a guy. He may <laughs> he sunned Michael more than anybody in in or out of the NBA the entire documentary when he beat him and got. 
twenty dollars off of him and do the shrug in his face. So good. I, I think Michael I love appreciate it so much. that. Yeah. How yeah. refreshing would it be if you're a person who anywhere you go, one of the first conversations I had with him, I mentioned to him that like, okay, I want to talk to you about this, 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 and this. And also it's gotta be extremely bizarre that everywhere you go, people are either in awe of you or they're pretending not to be. Man. And that that goes for everyone except a few people in his circle. Because I'm sure there's people who hang out with him and they're friends of his, but they're still kind of like, holy shit, man, I'm hanging out with Michael Jordan. <laughs> Uh, I know we were. Yeah, Jason. You, you try to be as cool as you want about it, but let's be honest. Like it's 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 bizarre. So that I think that how welcome would it be if you're a guy like that to get someone who's just like they don't fucking care. They'll they'll give you as much shit as you give them, and they can treat you like a normal person because that is like the premium. Then is like please treat me normal. I just want a normal life. Absolutely, Jason. Uh, I love your attention to detail uh, throughout all the episodes that we've seen so far. Um, whether that's you know continually finding the shots in the earlier episodes that panned up from the shoes, and which is like to sort of, in my mind, casually highlight the shoes and the shoe importance without outwardly pointing an arrow at them. Which I know you would like later on with the Nike deal and everything. I love the the. Um, the titles that you give to people, you know, uh, Barack Obama is a Chicago resident. You know, it's it's it gives you a taste of, of who they are in that time. And yes. um, what is the smallest detail that you have found in this process that you're really proud of? Ooh, that's hard. Um, I wish I knew that question was coming because <laughs> I would have had so many uh, tiny ones that the. the Chicago resident one was kind of a joke that we had in the edit room because um, there were partners we had who were adamant that we needed more celebrities, celebrities, celebrities. And you interview uh, presidents because they're presidents. <laughs> I'm serious. Well, and that's that's fine. That, that's personal taste and style. I've always been adamant. Listen, who is going to turn down the opportunity to, to interview a, a former president? I'd jump at the chance to do that, but I don't want to do it at the expense of them saying, well, you have to include that president because what if they're not germane to the story? So I was always adamant that we need to have people that are that, that somehow have relevance to the story. So interview Barack Obama and you'll see more of him. You've seen him a couple of times now. You'll see more of him later in the series. Speaking about things that he is, uh, you know, capable of or, or, or relevant to speaking on Barack Obama saying what a superstar Michael Jordan was I don't you know I, I revere Barack Obama I don't care about his opinion that Michael was famous anyone can tell me that mm -hmm. I could ask someone jogging past me right now they would tell me that but <laughs> he we did want to get the perspective of someone who was amidst that kind of like growing excitement in Chicago at the time that Michael came there and how he transformed the city what better person than Barack Obama who was living as a resident in the city then? So if we graphic him as the president, yeah, we all know that. But the <laughs> people, who, people who don't know, that was not tongue-in-cheek or, or ball-busting or anything. That was to tell, to explain to people, this is why he's saying that. Yeah, I thought it was he dope. He was a performer. It wasn't even meant to be dope. It was just like, so it's funny that in episode uh, five, when we're talking about Republicans buy sneakers too, yep. the graphics people, when they put it on, they used his old graphic. And I watched the rough cut and I was like, well, what the fuck are we still calling him as a former Chicago resident? <laughs> now he's speaking as the president. Yeah. Like he's not, he's not speaking as a dude who used to live on the South side. That's not why he's, he's, uh, he's been asked to, to comment on this. So that wasn't meant to be, certainly wasn't meant to be disrespectful. I've seen right. some people asking that like my god the, the, the complete opposite right uh and then same thing with clinton um 
you know, as as former Arkansas governor, yep. I just love the fact. And, and Bill Clinton doesn't appear in the rest of the series because he, it wasn't relevant. Like, of course, he can talk about what a, what a global icon Michael was and, and what a global force of pop culture the Bulls were. But like, other people can speak about that too. Yeah. And just because he's the president doesn't necessarily mean that he's relevant to this story. It was very relevant and very cool that when he was governor. He was driving to go walk by himself to go watch this kid Scotty Pippen play. I found yeah. that fascinating. So that was why that was. As far as details, you mentioned the shoes, of course. Like whatever we could, um, we tried to give a nod to, to sneakerheads out there, of which I am not one. I've become more of one. Just to do this. <laughs> it was actually really helpful for us because Michael looks very much the same in '91 that he did in '98. But we could look at his shoes and be like, oh, all right. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm not kidding. No, that's we awesome. We'd be like, all right, that's the 92 finals. Or he's wearing fours. That's 89. <laughs> he's wearing threes. That's the 87, 88 season. And we would, we very, there's many times where I had to say we can't use that photo because the sneakerheads are going to be like, no, that wasn't, that was 93, not 91. <laughs> um, you'll see, and there's more shots. There's, there's an iconic shot of him stepping on the floor in game six with the shoes that he was wearing uh, against the, the Jazz. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, very similar to when he's wearing the one steps on the floor in, in MSG. Yep. And then the details, the music, I think, was the most detailed, uh, detail-oriented aspect of this was, was trying to be as close as possible to the era or right down sometimes to the week. Like, like Been Around the World was released the same month that they went to France. Mm. Uh, and it just made sense. And, and it's, it's a tricky needle to th- thread because you don't want it to be so on the nose that it's like, that it's obvious, you yeah. know, but also you don't want it to be so obscure that, you know, it's too hard for some people. We were going to use uh, reunited uh, Wu-Tang Clan for the, the uh, 72 and 10 season. Like Michael's back, the team's reunited. It just didn't fit. It didn't work. It seemed like that Wu-Tang cut seemed too hard for the Bulls. By the yeah. way, for a second, I thought maybe you were talking about yeah, like, like Peaches re- and Herb. Yeah, re- reunited and feel so good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's much, me, much more Michael, you know. <laughs> there's pl- plenty of partners who would have preferred that I use that. So uh, we, we fought those battles and, and, and we won them. But um, I wanted more than any song, like, like if there's a song that we missed and couldn't use that I wanted to use so bad was danger blase blase for 96 oh my god that is exactly when the east is in the house oh my god oh my god yeah that that was the song if i think of 96 and i think of being back in college and i think i think that was like syracuse's anthem yeah it was i went to syracuse yeah yeah yeah. so when i had john wallace and those dudes like that was cues in the house oh my god yep um and that is 96 and also when the east is in the house they were dominating the east they were 70 10 72 and 10 so why couldn't you use it clear it oh couldn't clear it because um, there was like you know that woman that that loop of that woman like doing the that one yeah no one can find that or no one can clear it or whatever it is and that's the whole song so they gave us a sample free version which is just the guys from Blase Blase like shout out to them God bless them but it's just them going when we in the house oh my God it's not J Rue it's not Q Tip there's nothing like what makes up that song to me are those samples and takes me back to that place so we replaced it with. Um, KRS one step into a world which came out a year or two later that's one of the few times where i've had to be like all right fine then we're not going to be like right on point and I, the guys like you are the ones that i'm like oh no <laughs> i mean that is why we brought you on here to to criticize you in yeah. that move <laughs> yeah it just took <laughs> us a little while to get to that point but i'm glad I that you brought that it up soul. 
I Know You Got Soul is what I wanted so bad to use as the Rock Kim song in episode one. Because um, that is one of my favorite songs of all time. And I vividly remember listening on that that boombox in the corner of my brother's room, listening to that for the first time and being like, what? This is a different way of rapping. Like, this is this is not like hard times are coming to your town. Let's run DMC. Like, this is I've never heard something like this. Yeah. And that's what that's what Michael did to the NBA when he came on. And the songs came out at the exact same time that Michael came into the NBA. And I was like, all right, that boom, we're using that. We couldn't clear one of the samples. So for me, we have to use I Ain't No Joke, which is like <laughs> the best second place yeah, of all time. Not but. bad. Uh, Jason, we want to finish out with this, which is we always knew the documentary was going to be uh, really significant. You know, we were looking forward to experiencing it with the NBA Finals. Uh, that would have been a very natural thing. Obviously, uh, Mother Nature and ESPN have gotten in the way and changed the schedule. But how does it feel for you to uh, sit down with the rest of the world and experience this on Sunday nights as the one thing that everybody is is actually a part of now? Like, have you wrapped your head around that people are enjoying your uh, your work and your efforts for the last couple of years all at the same time? Um, as the weeks go by, yeah, because we have less and less work to do. When we started out in, in episodes one and two, when those when those premiered, we were still really hard at work. So we, we took we had a, a Zoom toast, twelve of us who were still working on this thing in the trenches, spread out throughout apartments throughout New York. Um, but then it was back to work the next morning to finish eight, nine, still working on 10, still working on nine a little bit. But as the weeks have gone by, um, we could actually um, watch and monitor the internet and Twitter and all that. I will say this, man, I, I could not be more proud of the team that we have, that the technological obstacles that were put in front of us. And I, I barely knew how to like, plug these airpods in and, and and get on this podcast myself like i'm that's not my thing and we have guys who that is their thing so these guys like chad beck and Devin kincan and ben Zanski and abysovsky and nina kirstis these these people who i mentioned as as geniuses at what they do they're world class and they happen to have world-class setups at their house and it was seamless it takes longer but it was seamless. And if they didn't have that in place, we would not have been able to, to give this to people. So it's enormously gratifying. Uh, it's enormously, I'm enormously proud of them for working as hard as they have. And then it's gratifying just to see people like to get literally from all over the world messages on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, from people saying like, thank you for giving me an hour or two of escape. Or I, I called my dad and talked. Those, those are the ones that I always respond to if it's about family. Cause sports was about family for me growing up. My brothers and my dad and my mom and my cousins and everybody, sports was the lifeblood of our family. That's what we did. We went to each other's games. We pretended we were Michael Jordan in the backyard, pretended we were Larry Bird playing against the Pistons, or I did at least. Um, and so to, to, to give people a, a sense of nostalgia and, and a bit of an escape for an hour or two every weekend, it's enormously uh, gratifying for all of us. And, well, and it's, it's, an, it's an awful time. But at least for this to work out the way that it has, um, at least there's a little bit of a bright side for us as people. Yeah. Well, listen, Jason, uh, thank you not only for this, but but truly thank you for giving us uh, something to, uh, you know, gather around the television and, and talk to our mom and our brother about and, and lots of listeners out there who are enjoying this just like we are. Uh, you're a master at what you do. We appreciate your time. We appreciate your efforts. Be safe out there. And uh, when this is all over, we really look forward to uh, to hanging out in real life. And until then, be well. Likewise, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it.
And now, Jeff, let's call up to our friend, the one and only Jadakus. Yo. Jada! What up? What's good? What's happening? How are you? I'm chilling. Yo, uh, so just like everybody else, I know that every Sunday night you are tuned into ESPN. You're watching The Last Dance. Um, do you have any good Michael Jordan stories from uh, your personal life? One time I was in the Bahamas with Mike. Um, I was with the whole Jordan brand. They invited me to go to the Bahamas for one of the Jordan golf classics. And um, I got him. I bought him a little one. Of, I got him a piece of jewelry. It was one of the Jordans, I think a three or a four. And I gave it to him. And um he told me he was going to rob me. I had a lot of jewelry on. He's like, yo, I'm going to rob you, boy. And he like, uh, you know, he was just playing with me. He told me how much his kids love me, his son, Marcus. Shout out to Marcus. Did you guys have any pickup games on that on that vacation? I watched him play blackjack, though. I watched him play blackjack. I watched him play blackjack all night. He was playing three slots, 10,000 a hand. Heavy. Yo, wait. It was crazy. Jada, he has a gambling problem. <laughs> Yo, this is, was ill. So he was playing him, um, Falk, his agent. Yep. And somebody else was three people playing at the table. They was losing for a minute. It was a spell where they was losing. And he made Falk do a lap around the table. <laughs> that was crazy. Then oh. he went to the bathroom. He went to the bathroom one time, and his ex-wife was playing his hands. And uh, I think she might have blackjacked on two of the hands, and she just won on one of the hands. So she won. She won some nice chips. Uh, Jesus! By the time he got back, and she tried to like separate. What she won <laughs> away from the pile of chips that he had. He, he turned around and asked her, you know how to shoot the turnaround? You ever dunk the ball? He just started asking the wild, crazy shit. And then he told her, get out of here. <laughs> MJ's a cool dude. Yo, you know, uh, Jada, when you were coming up, man, New York was just like, you know, so blessed to have a really, really good Knicks team. You know, you talk about Patrick Ewing, you talk about Charles Oakley, Anthony Mason, John Starks, you know, the, the list just goes on and on. It was a, it was a lunch pail type of, you know, dive on the floor, scrap out every win type of team. Uh, we're not dealing with that now, but talk about the energy around the garden back then. Oh, you know what it was when you came through the garden, man, it was going we they they was no they was they took a little bit of that Detroit bad boyism and mixed it with tough New York hard nosed basketball and, and and it made us great. It had the energy and the garden was was at an all time high back in them days, man. What was, was your first? Crazy. What was your first time like uh, on Celebrity Row like? Oh, it was cool. You know, you get um. For me, they people keep calling me from a little bit upper, asking for autographs and talking to me, and I'm really like, "Yo, don't you know this is my first time down here? I want to enjoy the whole every part of this game." 
But um, it's nothing like sitting on the floor, man. Celebrity Rose Court. Any anywhere on the floor is is a great experience watching a basketball game. Well, I want to hear about your best experience courtside, but I also want to bring up what has to be your worst time courtside, which was at the Celtics game when you were sitting there with Millie's and all of a sudden Rodney Hood charges towards you and jumps into you guys, spills your yeah, drink all was, over. Yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> that went viral quick. Man. That was probably the quickest thing that ever happened. <laughs> viral so fast. Um, yeah, I went to a Boston game with Millie's and Rodney Hood going for a loose ball or something in the and we just happened to get our drinks. I had red wine, Millie's had beers, and uh, I spilled the red wine all over myself, but I had <laughs> all black, so you couldn't really tell. But I, I managed to hold his beers. He, he managed to get, his, nothing happened to Millie's beers that I was holding. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was, the, what was the best experience you ever had sitting courtside? took my son to a, I think it was the, the Knicks versus Miami Heat on Christmas morning on Christmas afternoon one mm. time and Dwayne Wade came over and gave you know said what's up to me and said what's up to him I think that was a that was a flavor I felt very good you know what I mean I felt like the dad of all time yeah um was there any Knicks player that you were close to more than any other Besides Carmelo, I don't think so. Yeah, so when, when Melo came, were you were you good with Melo when he was a Nugget? Or was it just like solidified when he came to New York and became a Nick? Nah, uh, nah, I used to be in Denver. I used to fly out in Denver, stay in his crib, all that. Oh, that's dope. Wait, well, how did you meet him? Um, I actually met him, the locks. We had to perform, or we had to host something at Justin's. Off restaurant in the city yep. for ESPN or somebody, but the, the event was for LeBron and Melo right before the draft. So I, I met him there, and we was tight ever since, up, up until this day. Is that one of those relationships where Sheik is like, how come you don't introduce me to Melo? How come you don't introduce <laughs> me to Nike? <laughs> nah, Sheik and Styles met him because we all had to do the event. Everybody <laughs> met him. It's just that I took a liking to Melo because he, he you know, I'm a, I'm a huge Syracuse fan. There you go. He he went there and won it in one year, so, you know what I mean? All I'm just saying, I'm saying this is the exact same thing as Nike. <laughs> With Sheik? Yeah. <laughs> Yo, because uh, when it comes to Patrick Ewing, I think that people watch, you know, all these years later, that Jordan documentary, and they're just like, oh, look at, look at that Bulls team just destroy the Knicks and, you know, put them down. I think a lot of people are now underrating Patrick Ewing's career. What do you think about his time here in the city? Uh, I was a big Patrick Ewing fan ever since Georgetown, so I, I, was, I was able to see what he did in the city, and I knew how, how nice he was, so. No, I'm a huge fan of Pat. I think he's one of the greatest centers. He had the jump shot for a big man that back then. That today, that's what all the big men got jump shots now. So he was one of the few early back then those times that could you know play good in the post and also shoot a jumper from far back than the average 
place where a big man would shoot it. So, you know what I mean? I love Pat Ewing forever. Were you ever in any, like, the NBA 2K games? Like, did they ever, like, animate you? No, I was never in 2K. Not as a person yet. I was in I was in NBA Live, like, the year, last year or the year before. The world comes to a stop with the pandemic. There's no more pop culture. There's no more sports. Everything is just, like, inside the four walls that you live in. Have you been watching old clips? Have you been watching old games? How have you been getting your fix in? You're somebody, too, who knows all the lines when it comes to Vegas. Every Sunday, you know, you're there for all, like, the, you know, who's going to be, you know, winning what game. Yeah, it's you and Michael Jordan. That's right. <laughs> no, but Jada's, Jada's very in on sports. He's very in on ESPN. What do you do when all that is just, like, you know, taking away. smoke? Yeah. Yeah, I watch the old games. Um, You can watch stuff on YouTube um, but for the most part my TV is programmed to NBA TV so I've just been watching old games old documentaries old footage of you know NBA stuff so yeah um, pretty dope they've been showing championship classic uh, playoff games bunch of classic games so you know I'm cool with that we know that you guys uh, shot the video for Love and Loyalty during this whole, you know, shutdown, this lockdown, this quarantine. Uh, how was it filming a music video and not being able to necessarily stand next to your guys the whole time? Man, it was cool. It wasn't that, you know. Um, the video turned out super dope, as I as I told you guys the other day. Like, just yeah, extraordinary yeah. video. Yeah, I think that joint came out dope. I like that. I like how it came out too. Um, it was. It wasn't that. It wasn't that weird. Me and Styles was at the juice bar first. And uh, I think I shot first, then he shot, then they went and shot Sheik. But um, it was cool. It wasn't your typical video set, but it wasn't that abnormal even. You know what I mean? Have you been recording at all while you've been uh, indoors? Yeah, we were talking to Poobs about, like, who would be the best at setting up uh, a home studio of you and Sheik and Styles, and who would be the worst? And I felt like you would be in the middle. I felt like Styles would be the best at setting up a home studio. Sheik would be the absolute worst. <laughs> and I felt like you were probably like a little bit better than Sheik. And what did Poobs say? Poobs agreed. Poobs agreed. He thought that, that uh, you know, <laughs> he also thought that, that uh, Styles might get angry at the computer first and throw it. Yeah, and just like give up first. He said that you at least would like stick with it. You know, at least for like a couple of days. And he said that that Sheik would probably be on the phone like with Poobs the entire time trying to, you know, get some instruction. Yeah, I might be right. <laughs> Styles got Noah too. His son Noah. That's true. Probably, Shout out to Noah. You know, he already got a little studio in his room probably, so it wouldn't be that hard for them. Have you I'm been probably. Have you been recording though? Nah. I did one feature for somebody at the studio that Styles found that has a bunch of lights on and and it's very clean and it's just the engineer in there but that was just for the bread other than that i've just been trying to save some good lines in my phone and, and make sure my family was safe yeah so on an on an everyday basis uh you know you've been just inside working out eating right juicing and uh and looking out for your kids and all that yeah, I mean, I just really got back hard working out and eating. I'm fasting for Ramadan. 
Are you really? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know how that goes. Yeah, hopefully that's that's going smoothly so far. Yeah, yeah, it's been going it's been going pretty good so far. Um, it's all it's a mind's all in your mind, and you gotta be strong minded. Mm-hmm. And it goes by regular, but is this um, your first Ramadan, or have you done this before? Nah, I've done it before, but this is the first time I'm actually think I'm gonna go all the way through with no with no breaks. You know, the previous times I've done it, I had to I had to uh, break my fast a few times, a few days for different reasons. But this time, no matter what, I'm I've been going strong. Well, salute to you for that, um, Jada. You know, we we've been we've been talking to you on the phone every time there's been a versus battle. We're just as excited as you are. Um, we loved seeing you jump in, you know, the comment section every time. Uh, I think we spoke to you on the podcast before the RZA and Primo uh, battle. What'd you end up thinking of, of, of that experience? I thought it was dope. I thought RZA got that. Right? And there's, um, and I also thought Prem didn't play a lot of records that he had. I thought he didn't play. He didn't I break thought, out recognized. Yeah, he didn't break out some a, a couple of records that I thought he would have played. Um, just thought RZA was more ready, even though he was having sound problems. I just thought his lineup of songs was 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 better than Prem. Also, he dressed better. <laughs> like he came dressed for battle. <laughs> Um, Jada, uh, which which battle did you enjoy more, the Saturday night um, Babyface and Teddy Riley event, or the Monday night Teddy and and Babyface event? Well, I missed the first one with all of the with the with the clown and the Breon. Yo, <laughs> wait, how did you miss it? I what were you possibly that doing? That was yo, that was must see TV right there. Forgot what I was doing. Missed that though. Sitting, <laughs> and then um, the next one, I thought it was cool too, but I, I it felt like it felt like Teddy couldn't win no matter what because of because of the previous one. People was already, but I also thought he had some big records. Man, he got some big, you know. I thought it was in. I thought it was jeans because Babyface actually did a versus. With all slow songs, crazy. Well, I mean, that's good. That's what's gonna happen with uh, uh, the Jill Scott and Erica Badu thing, too. Yeah, that's gonna be. I don't know. I don't know. How, I don't know. Really, know how to prepare for that. <laughs> get some candles. Get some red wine. Yeah, don't spill you it. Get some wine. <laughs> put the demer on. <laughs> Maybe put a dashiki on. <laughs> Long robe. <laughs> Something. I don't know. Do you have any of your old jerseys like uh, laying around? The big ones? Yeah. Like triple yeah, XL. I, I got a bunch of big throwbacks in my garage. A whole bunch of them. At least Damn. 25, 30 of them. Um, yo, we're trying to figure out technologically some way to get the three of you guys on the same line as us and watch a movie together so we can get back to doing two Jews and two black dudes. We can't do it on Zoom? There's no way. How can we? I, we're trying to figure out if you can watch the movie on Zoom and also like have us on screen too. Yeah. You know? 
Oh, that'd be dope. Yeah. So we're figuring it out. I can't believe I'm talking to you about Zoom. <laughs> Have yeah, you been, been doing a bunch of interviews and all that shit on Zoom? Have you been having Zoom meetings? Yeah. Who wait, had, what, wait, what do you make? What do you make your background? Uh, somewhere in my man cave. You're not putting a picture up behind you or anything. Yeah, you're not doing like a beach. No, 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 I ain't doing that. Have you been to any Zoom birthday parties? No Zoom birthday parties. I've been to one Zoom. Uh, 420, Jim Jones had something, and I went to Nori at an album or some type of release party on Zoom. That's dope. Can I just yeah. say how whack this entire time is? <laughs> that, like, we get excited to be in Zooms with each other? <laughs> this sucks. I miss yeah, the outside. People, and these DJ things with people are really taking it there like that. Meet me in the back, and I got bottles and oh, <laughs> really using the imagination to the maximum with this. Wait, Jada, when when you when you go to D Nice's uh, club quarantine, are you are you getting on a couch with a bottle at your at your at your, uh, your own house? Nah, I get a cup of wine. I mean, I get a glass of wine and sit there and laugh at the comments and <laughs> stupid stuff that you know what I mean. I get some humor out of it. Besides some of the good music. Yeah. Well, listen, Kiss, uh, we appreciate you as always. We love you. Take care of yourself, you and yours. And uh, we'll be calling to check in, all right? No doubt. Appreciate you guys. Stay safe, man. See? Yeah, actually, wait. One more thing. We were talking to somebody about how you're dancing. Oh, we were talking to Alchemist. Yeah. We were talking to Alchemist, and we were like, yo, you know, because he used to be on this, like, whole, like, I got you know, uh, five different elements and I'm great at all of them and I can dance and all this stuff. And we're like, yo, Jadakiss though can really dance. And we're like, K Rosewood, he can really dance. And then he was just <laughs> like, he was like, nah, nah, I got them. So we, what we want to do yeah, when we this is all a, over. Oh, we should have a dance off on the zoom. Yo, that would be a fire versus. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. You don't want me to pull out my break dancing again, man. You know, I went viral for doing the windmills. Yo, did you see, did you see Cam? Uh, doing jumping like, double dutch. There you that go. Was it was awesome. Can you do double that dutch? Was nuts. Nah, I'm not nice like that. Everybody <laughs> used to do it on the block when the girls pull out the rope. Cam <laughs> looked like he was part of a group. <laughs> <laughs> he looked like he could be in Ringling Brothers doing that. Shit. <laughs> Yo, wait, wait, wait. Before we let you go, we need a hair update. Are you good with your cut? How are we looking right now? Yo, that's crazy. I, I thought we was gonna do some video because. I'm, I'm, um, yeah, I'm letting my hair grow. I ain't getting a cut into the to the world opens for real, not the not the fake one that they pump faking us with. No, and yep. I'm and I'm and I'm I'm twisting my sideburns, Yo. twisting my sideburns. So you know, you guys understand where I'm taking. Yeah, are you gonna look like Shine? <laughs> I got the twisty sideburns. Yeah, I'm going for the Shine Pope. <laughs> Jada, if you come out of here with like cornrows, this is gonna be <laughs> wild. <laughs> Jada, you're the greatest. Uh, I love you guys. And now, Jeff, let's get on the phone with ESPN's Pablo Torre. Hello, Pablo. What up? Sorry about that. That's communication. All good. How I are was you trying to? I'm good. I'm good. I'm just, I'm trying to, I'm doing this through my laptop. So I hope 
This sounds okay. It sounds great. Yeah, I mean, you know, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Pablo, uh, first and foremost, how are you uh, holding up throughout this whole thing, you and your family? We're doing all right. I mean, we're in Manhattan, so all of the caveats apply. Like, it's supremely strange. This seems like a weird combo of, like, a little 9-11, a little uh, Sandy, a dash of, like, maybe the death count of a war, but <laughs> we are... <laughs> Despite all of that, I mean, we're doing all right, thankfully. Well, um, good. I know, yeah, in New York, like, it's, as you guys know, as well as anybody, like, uh, this part of the conversation is obligatory, and I thank you, and I hope you guys are doing all right, too, but the caveat is that, who the fuck knows? Exactly yeah, right. You know, Absolutely. Every single day has, like, a million of different emotions. Yeah, but... Here is the best thing and the most important thing that we have to talk to you about today, Pablo... Does it seem like forever ago when you did that Linkin Park song at the beginning of quarantine? <laughs> it really does. <laughs> it really does. And and I'm so proud of it. But, <laughs> I mean, so, so you take the internet content cycle, the normal speed it's at, and it's obviously already ancient, but then you layer on top of this <laughs> news cycle... And it feels like a thousand years ago. Like, I don't think we got to properly relish. I know you guys had Mike Shinoda on we the did. pod. And you guys got to... And I, I, listened, I listened to that part in specific because I was like, oh, man, this is kind of strange. Like, I don't know how he's going to respond to this. And what he told you guys is actually, I think, the best case scenario. Absolutely. Which is like, I saw it. I appreciated it. It felt a little weird to retweet on the uh, birthday of Chester Bennington, which... I wish I could say that I had planned in advance, but merely ended up being the sort of cosmic coincidence Absolutely. that validated the entire project. Uh, but yeah, it feels like forever ago. Well, that being said, uh, Mike Golick Jr. Uh, deleted his Twitter account, and so I wonder what? if it, yeah, and so I wonder if it was because of the blowback because of your video, in the same way that like Gal Gadot. <laughs> Gal Gadot got canceled. Yeah, yeah, so like, you know, is he okay? <laughs> I, you know, you're breaking news to me. I have to go inquire and, 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 and make sure that, that Mike Gully Jr. Is, is fine because I scouted him for his for his pipes, his vocal cords, man. I knew for that part. What people don't appreciate, guys, and, you, and as music heads, you appreciate it, I hope. Yes. Like, I was... I was I was arranging. I needed people to play particular parts. And yeah, Mike well, Golick Jr. coming through, like, <laughs> that was so important to the entire enterprise. Right. He put his career on the line for your song. <laughs> oh wait. So so who who is the person who said no to you? Mm. Oh man. Keith Hernandez. I mean, I <laughs> if I had him in my phone, I would have asked. There are two people who said there are two people who said no to me, and I respect them both for doing so. Number one is Bomani Jones. <laughs> Bomani was like, he gave me a real immediate, I'm gonna pass on that. Damn. And I knew he was going to pass on it, but because I'm in his, I'm his friend and former co-host, I obviously had to ask. Sure. Wait, was, but what about like the Jay-Z version? <laughs> <laughs> I think that would have been an even faster. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, the second person who said no, and this was an involved voyage that involved phone calls and me getting other people to try and convince him to do it, was Tony Kornheiser. Wow. And he had he had never heard of Lincoln Park, had no idea what song this was, was afraid that I was setting him up in some way to be the butt of a joke that he didn't understand. 
And so I had multiple human beings trying to convince him to be uh, a part of this, an important part of this. Wait, they had to vouch for you? <laughs> well, what happened was I called Kornheiser and I explained to him in my elevator pitch what this was. And he was very confused and scared. And so he said, I'm going to call Eric Rideholm, who's the producer of PTI yep. and Around the Horn and Highly Questionable and High Noon, and my good friend. And because I, and this is the, this is the, I mean, look, Tony s sniffed me out because the con <laughs> I was running was like, hey, look, Ride Home knows about this. He's cool with it. Like, you should just hop on. It'll be real easy. We're going to protect you and all of that. So he's like, I got to call Eric. And I said, okay. As soon as we hung up the phone, I speed dialed Ride Home, explained <laughs> to him what I was doing. He had no idea. <laughs> and he was like, all right. And then. Two hours later, it was it was a no, and I was like, touche. <laughs> um, given given the success of that video, uh, did you want to follow up with anything else, or were you like, you know what, I'll give it some time, and uh, and maybe a couple months down the road, I'll I'll revisit when someone else, you know, in celebrity land does something wild. Yeah, I'm gonna have to now scan the celebrity birthday calendar before <laughs> I do this. And I'm going to have to make sure that I don't accidentally hit some anniversary, which would be wildly offensive <laughs> to the people that we are uh, paying homage to. So, um, Pablo, yes, I, I since, hope so. since you have been working at home this entire time, how did you go about picking the angle in which you were going to set up the camera? So as the resident of a two bedroom apartment, <laughs> there were only so many options. One bedroom is where my daughter lives. Mm -hmm. She is now 14 years old. Yeah. Seventh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she is. She is 14 years old. <laughs> um, she was she was she was born in February. So she basically gets bedrooms one and two, honestly. Yeah. And so I'm in the living room. I am in the living room. And uh, there is an echo that I'm told is not ideal. For broadcasting. <laughs> Did you consider doing it from the kitchen or did you consider it doing from like the lobby, going experimental down there, anything oh, like wow. that? Yeah, just like grabbing people as they come in. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to get experimental. I actually tried to go to the roof. Um, Are you okay? spectacular <laughs> up there. <laughs> and I gazed down at my future below. And, and the... And it was it was even worse reception up there. So instead, you get my living room and you get the upside, uh, which is all of the plants that I tend to lovingly, because that is that's my real family, guys. Is, <laughs> is the more of it, is the almost two dozen plants that I've been tending to for now months and months. Where were you when the Rudy Gobert news came down, and uh, and then all the leagues obviously shut down one by one in quick succession? And then what did you think of how? you know, the future would sort of play out for ESPN, how they would fill their hours. Yeah, I was, I remember it vividly, um, not merely because I am sitting in the same room where it <laughs> happened, uh, but I was, I was 10 feet behind me, staring at my television, watching, I was watching, I don't know if it was that game that was being broadcast, but I remember they cut into it pretty quickly. And so I was monitoring on Twitter, and Twitter often has this, this stuff first. Um, but the weird thing for me was that I was on paternity leave. And so I was I was not going to be on air regardless. So I got to kind of just sit back and 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 I guess observe more than be involved. Like, good luck figuring this shit out, guys. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, 
but my immediate concern or prediction was not merely that, oh, this will be wildly disruptive to sports, but like this was, again, you're at, at some point um, and the timeline of New York gets hazy when it became so real here, but it was like, oh, is this just everywhere now? And, and that's when it got to be like, oh, this is, this is going to be, uh, this is going to be a singular moment or ongoing moment as it turns out in sports history. Yeah. I mean, like, I feel like, um, I, I don't know how horse has performed, but I know that, uh, you know, the Michael Jordan documentary has just become such a singular event that everybody like, you know, in a, in a time when everybody had sort of done away with, um, with, with appointment viewing, it's like, this is the one thing that, that you have to do every Sunday night. So like, you know, you grew up as a Knicks fan, I'm assuming in the nineties, yeah. Uh, did you ever see Michael Jordan per, uh, play? Did you? What, what were your first times at MSG like? You know, did you ever wear any Jordans? Yeah, yeah. So this, the, first off, on the on the dock, it is this monoculture event. Um, Jason Hare is a friend of mine, the director, and I was like joking with him before it came out, like, "Hey, this is going to be massive. This is like Game of Thrones. Like, people are going to really tune in." And then it became even bigger than I think even he expected or predicted um for me personally like this is an embarrassing chapter that i don't often talk about actually in my life um you guys are digging real deep <laughs> yeah, yeah. i am i i was born and raised a knicks fan but if i am 100 percent honest and my parents and my siblings and the kids i went to school with would all vouch here i loved michael jordan pablo no I, I was, don't uh, do it don't pablo, do it no I was, no, uh, no. Yes, I am, I am the machine that I rage against. <laughs> I, I have a problem. I am, I am a a bigamist. Oh. Um, and I love two people in a, in a feud <laughs> like the Knicks and Michael Jordan. Man, like I would be lying to you if there were not photos of me with like Chicago Bulls merch, despite the fact that I said I'm a Knicks fan. Otherwise, it didn't make any sense. But you walked around the city. Yeah, you were walking to like Murray Hill in your. <laughs> In your, in your Jordans, yeah, wearing like Horace Grant goggles. <laughs> I remember my mom makes fun of me for this. I was in the garden and I had a Bulls cap on at one point, and none of it in retrospect. It feels like it feels like it was not me because why would I ever do that? None of this will age well. Everything about this is embarrassing. No, don't don't, don't distance yourself from it. This is you. But yeah, if this I, if I you've made always been. my, yes, if I may inhabit my eight to nine year old self in, in the mid nineties, it, it's, it's who I've always been. I loved Michael Jordan. I, I worshiped him. I remember I would have like ball, like uh, socks that I would like, you know, ball up. And when he was like shooting free throws, I would like imitate it. And I would think that my cosmic shooting of these imaginary free throws in my house with socks would be responsible for him sinking free throws with his eyes closed. Like I took credit for that at some point. You did not enjoy rocking with a team that would end up losing to Michael Jordan every year. (laughs) You went the other way. When you put it like that, when you put it like that, it does. It does really seem pretty, pretty logical. But, <laughs> but no, I want to. I, I, I wish. I'll be honest. I wish I had the the scars, the emotional scars and trauma that that all Knicks fans in the mid '90s can 
say um, really get down to their core. But I, I, I jumped ship and <laughs> I, I, I returned, I returned years later, but yeah, I, I can never really claim with full credibility that I am a Knicks fan because of this period in my life. Wait, when did you come back to the Knicks? Was it like the Marcus Camby years? Yeah, well, I would say... Which Marcus Camby years? Like the second time around? Oh. Like 2013? Well, <laughs> I would say that I was not fully back until... I mean, really, Jeremy Lin, if sure. I'm being honest. Sure. I, I, would, I would claim the Knicks if given uh, choices. But in terms of when did I really feel what... Uh, being a Knicks fan is like uh, Jeremy Lin, and that's when I was all in. And then, you know, I I I suffered my own traumas uh, <laughs> with how that all ended. So, so it's been painful, I guess. Pablo, you grew up here in New York City. You went to Regis High School. Uh, can you talk about what recess or or gym would be like at a school in the middle of Manhattan? Yeah, we didn't have a football team. We didn't have a hockey team. We didn't have a lacrosse team. Uh, I mean, I was on the debate team. That passed as sports, uh, <laughs> relatively speaking. Did you guys uh, have jackets? So, oh, I wish. I wish <laughs> we had. Far. I would wear that today. Um, and I would claim I was wearing it ironically. But because I was the captain of my debate team, I wish that I had like a big captain seat. That would be so uh, dope. On the front. I would have worn that so sincerely. Yeah. Uh, but I'm trying to think of what did we do during recess? I mean, we went, I remember at some point we got the privilege of going out for lunch, like senior year. Um, but in terms of like, what were we doing during lunchtime? Uh, hanging out in the cafeteria basement, being super nerdy and wondering what talking to girls might be like. <laughs> but even, but was... even gym class would be in, in Central Park, right? So we ran the reservoir. Yeah, um, yeah. For gym class, uh, and and yeah, I mean, you could do some real cheating ass stuff <laughs> running that thing. By the way, uh, you would <laughs> you could go backwards. You, could, you know, you could just take short. I mean, it was it was it was unmonitored except at the beginning and the end, obviously in the reservoir. So it was it was uh, yeah. It, Pablo, man. who is your uh, your high school's rival when it came to the debate team? Hunter College High School was Yo, really fuck good. Fuck those kids. <laughs> fuck them. Fuck all of them. Hunter fuck with the those. with the school that looks like basically like a Soviet Union, you know, <laughs> building from like the the sixties. Yeah, real brutalist. Yes, absolutely brutalist. Uh, brutal. The brutalist cauldron that forged, I think, Chris <laughs> Hayes and Jesus. Absolutely, yeah. and, uh, and like Lin Lin Manuel those, Miranda. Yeah, yeah a bunch that, of people. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. But debate, man, was a high stakes activity in my day. I remember, I, yo, when <laughs> this is this is embarrassing for everybody involved. <laughs> I remember there was a website. There was a website called LDDebate.org, and so you would go on the message boards and like high school kids across the country, but in New York, uh, a lot of the time would be like gossiping about each other and like talking shit. <laughs> and I remember someone posted uh, some negative comment about me i was overrated or something like that oh. but my teammates were great and something along those lines and i was suspicious and i had a theory that someone like this this it, it felt long story short like a call was coming from inside the house like no praise my teammates but not me so what happened was i had one of my friends 
send a link to one of our teammates. <laughs> and it was a it, it was it was a link where you could click on it, but the IP address was recorded. <laughs> and he, we were we were ahead of our of our time, and also deeply pathetic. Yeah, maybe. Um, but but he clicked on the link. We matched the IP address, and it was one of the kids at our school who was boosting himself up and talking shit on me. And so I'm just saying that burner account scandals are not only for NBA players. <laughs> New York high school debate is some real doggy dog. Pablo, shit. you are uh, like you said, a, a new father. Uh, this has been an extended, uh, basically, paternity leave for you. How has it been? Uh, I guess you have you know nothing else to judge it by. But how has it been for you in general, uh, raising your daughter in these last few months? Yeah, I mean, she has no idea what's happening. Which is great. <laughs> I get to sort of retreat into a bubble of, of sublime innocence and ignorance with her. But it's it's everything. It's bizarre. I mean, there's the stuff of, wow, all these cliches about fatherhood that my lame friends used to tell me are true. <laughs> um, all, all of it. All of it I feel. I feel the circuitry activating. I feel all of these emotions and hormones coursing through my body. <laughs> that stuff is real. Uh the other part, though, is that I get to claim to be a way better dad than I probably would have been otherwise, <laughs> to be honest. I, I don't go out. I am here. When you came home from the hospital, it had to be just like literally like night and day, right? Like all of a sudden you have this little human that you have to take care of now with no instructions. Yeah, it's, it's jarring. It's jarring. And everybody says like, you know, you're going to... You're going to leave the hospital. You're going to have a car seat, which is the only thing they demand that you have, assuming you're leaving in a car. Um, but otherwise, good luck. And and yeah, yeah, no instructions. Um, luckily, my wife knows what she's doing. Like, <laughs> there is in, in the shot of, of my living room that you can often see when I'm doing uh, TV stuff. There are books. Many of those are baby books. And my wife has read all of them. And I sort of nod along when she <laughs> talks about things as if I have also read them. <laughs> But thankfully, like, and, and, and on a very sincere note, like, I'm very, very lucky that the person I married is a very competent mother and parent and is wildly responsible because I get to be, like, the associate head coach. Yeah. You know, like, or the, you know, maybe, like, special teams coordinator, even. She's, like, you know, running the show, and I am plugging in where I can, and I am an important part of this operation but we really know who's running the ship here uh so pablo if your wife is sitting right next to you say hunter high school <laughs> <laughs> uh, she, she is she is standing right in front of me and she has her fingers on the pacifier in my baby's mouth amazing she will take it out and start crying if, if i don't praise her yeah, all of that is true well, I think that uh, this is going to be a very special Mother's Day for all of you guys. Pablo, it's it's great to get on the phone with you finally. Uh, hopefully, you guys uh, stay safe, stay indoors, and uh, and stay doing great work on ESPN. We'll look forward to catching up with you uh, down the line. Yeah, thank you, guys. And the other part of the standard New York exchange, uh, stay safe, stay well. All of that is very cliche, but... As New Yorkers, man, like, I, I don't know, I feel more pride in this city than I ever have, despite it being 
all sorts of fucked up. So I look forward to seeing you guys in person on the other side of this. Absolutely. And the next time you wear your Jordans and we'll wear our, our Ewings, all right? <laughs> <laughs> and my humiliation will be Shout out to Pablo Torre, shout out to Jadakiss, and shout out to the director of The Last Dance, Jason Hare. Jeff, are we back tomorrow? We are back every day forever. As always, guys, not for real, for real. Sure, sure. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Right.